0: Imagine my joy when I found out that Raji Malhotra is going to be launching his latest book titled Artificial Intelligence and the Future of Power, Five Battlegrounds, which will be published by Rupa Publishing. So I view I see, getting Rajiv Malhotraji to come and be part of this lit festival as a bit of a coup, because not only is it very timely and topical, but because of Rajiv's unique perspectives. Rajiv was trained initially as a physicist, and then as a computer scientist, specializing in artificial intelligence as early as the 1970s. After an extremely successful corporate career in the United States, he became an entrepreneur and founded and ran several technology companies which were spread out in 20 countries. Since the early 1990s, as the founder of his nonprofit. Infinity Foundation, located in Princeton, New Jersey. He has been researching civilizations and their engagement with technology from a historical, social sciences and mind sciences perspective. He has authored many best-selling books. In fact, Infinity Foundation has published a 14-volume series on the history of Indian science and technology, a gargantuan contribution, not just to students of Indian civilization, but to humanity. I would truly encourage our members to go to Infinity Foundation and see all of the books that they have published. There is so much more about you, Rajiv. You are truly a polymath, but for our audience, please, when you go to visit the website rajimuhotra.com, learn more about this incredible individual. So, to moderate this session, we had to find another star. And I want to welcome Usha Chowdhury, who will be the moderator and have a one on one interview with Rajeev Malhotra on his forthcoming book. Welcome, Usha Chowdhury. Usha Chowdhury is a remarkable business leader who has served as president, chief operating officer, chief transformation officer, board member, and senior advisor. She has held C-level positions at MITRE, Kettler Company, The Pew Charitable Trust, The Washington Post, United Way of America, and Freddie Mac. Usha was recognized in the top 10 women of influence in technology by Analytics Insight in 2020. She was also named a finalist in the March of Dimes, Heroines of Washington in 2018. Washingtonians Most Powerful Women in Washington 2017, BizNow's Women of Influence in Commercial Real Estate in 2017, and Washington Business Journal's Women Who Mean Business in 2016. In 2007, Chaudhary was named Washington's nonprofit CFO of the Year for Innovation. Usha is currently on the boards of Nathan Associates, an international management consulting firm based in Arlington, Virginia, George Mason University Honors College, the India International School, a Northern Virginia Indian American education and cultural center, and a recent nonprofit startup Renew, Reform Education for a New World. She'll also recently be named senior advisor to the Infinity Foundation. Usha, What a remarkable individual you are. I see so delighted to have you moderate this session. I will hand over the floor to you and let the session now begin.
1: Thank you, Rakesh, very much for that introduction. And I also want to thank the Indo-American Arts Council for inviting us to speak at its literary festival featuring stories of humanity by world-renowned authors Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with one such world-renowned author, Mr. Rajiv Malhotra, about his soon-to-be-launched new book titled Artificial Intelligence and the Future of Power, um, Five Battlegrounds. So, Rajiv, you have written so many books and have been a vocal public figure on topics related to Indian history, culture, philosophy, and Sanskrit, just to name a few. I also know, and as Rakesh just told us in your bio, that you were a technology entrepreneur for many years uh, before um, exiting that line and starting and launching the Infinity Foundation about 25 or so years ago. My first question to you is, what motivated you to write this book on artificial intelligence and how does it relate to or build upon any of your previous publications?
2: Thank you, Usha. And first of all, I want to thank Rakesh. Uh, What what a delight for me to have two thought leaders, both of them present uh, uh, in this very important uh, occasion in my life, which is the first public discussion on my forthcoming book on artificial intelligence. So Usha, to your question, you know, I'm going full circle. I started as a technocrat, a physicist, turned into computer scientist focusing on AI before AI was really a developed field in the early 70s. And then I built a career as a corporate guy and then my own entrepreneur in technology. And then I, halfway through my uh, life, my active life, which is like 25, 26 years ago, I quit all that and put all, all I got into the Infinity Foundation. And so I've got into culture, civilizations, kind of the inner world, the inner world and the outer world of money making and chasing success I left. So I'm going full circle. I'm not leaving the ideas, the, the, the work I have to do on Indian culture, civilization and so on. But I'm bringing AI as a new perspective into this into this new theater of civilizations. Uh, I, I realized about four years ago. Certain events which are discussed in this book were watershed events. I discussed that. I I realized that AI is real because all the past 50 years we thought it's going to happen, but it wasn't happening. Uh, Time magazine had cover stories on AI, but it wouldn't happen. It was always about to happen, but now it's happened. It's not something that will happen. It has happened. Its impact is huge. And we can uh, one part of my book, one chapter in the the book discusses what's already happening because of AI, the disruptions already happening. And so this coming decade between now and 2030, the AI revolution will radically transform the world. And I started looking at how it will change my work, how it will change, you know, the mind sciences, the social sciences, the political domain, the economics, the geopolitics of China with AI, all of that. And then this research led to uh, crystallizing the impact of AI into five categories. And these five categories I call the battlegrounds. Battleground meaning that there, are, there is an e- existing equilibrium. But the equilibrium is being disrupted because of AI. And there will be a period of contention among various forces before a new equilibrium is established. So these are active battlegrounds where different forces are competing for future And AI is a weapon. So that's that's how I came about this writing this book. It was supposed to be out. Actually, I gave a talk on it at a literary festival in 2019. And then I realized it's premature because I have still to write the book. So we did not promote that talk too much. Uh, It was supposed to be out before the covid and then due to some delays, the covid started, the pandemic started. And publishers said, you know, printing presses are stopping and this and that. So we had a six month delay. And then in the meantime, I was reworking some aspects. So here we are ready to launch.
1: That's great. And I can't wait to get into the details of uh, the book, its content and the five battlegrounds. And we'll do that in just one second. But before we get to that, let's talk about artificial intelligence in general. So overall, as you know, it's a very widely used term in business. And it's often, you know, interchangeably used with robotics. And um, it generally denotes the use of software to simulate human intelligence into computers through various mechanisms such as speech and facial recognition, visual perception, language translation, et cetera, et cetera. Um, How do you define AI in the context of the book and the messages that you're bringing forward?
2: Well, I certainly include all the things you mentioned Uh, in a very general sense. Artificially simulating, mimicking, copying, augmenting what we call intelligence when humans act in an intelligent way. But not limited to copying humans, but also being able to supersede humans in certain ways. So for example, if you look at facial recognition, the facial recognition AI is so good that it has a better accuracy in recognizing faces, shapes, counting the number of battle tanks in a field from the sky. Uh, looking looking for a certain person out of a big you know sports auditory, a sports stadium, uh, and doing it faster, doing it uh, cheaper and doing it more accurately. so when when AI is able to approach what humans do, soon it can overtake. As soon you will see driverless cars that actually drive faster with better record, less accidents uh, in more different conditions night, day, all kinds of weather conditions, rain, snow, uh, you will find that these cars will actually run better than most human drivers. So the list goes on and on. Uh, AI is uh, the way I describe the way I scope AI in this book is not just AI itself, but all the other domains that are influenced by AI. So, for instance, drug discovery is in pharmaceuticals, but drug discovery is now becoming accelerated with AI, with, with machine learning, with neural networks. Uh, robotics, Robots exist on their own, drones exist on their own, but with AI, they become ter- turbocharged. AI is a force multiplier that enhances all sorts of things. Military things, economic things, things on your job, things that will help you, things that will disrupt you. So, if you look at aerospace, there is AI. The Raphael jets that India is buying, a large part of what differentiates them is artificial intelligence. The Air Force people will tell you that. The, uh, the, the most office work is being revolutionized due to AI. Politics is being revolutionized. How you market, how you target, how you target your messaging, fake news, all of that is driven by AI. So AI is a kind of an ambient presence, uh, augmenting, either replacing or augmenting human intelligence in virtually every domain there is. And the range of technologies is huge from nanotechnology to aerospace, to quantum computing, which are separate technologies in their own right. But as a cluster with AI as kind of the brains uh, behind it, Uh, I'm using the term AI very broadly to cover all of that.
1: Very helpful. Thank you for setting that context. Um, Now let's turn to the book itself. So what are, can you summarize the key messages in your book?
2: So, you know, uh AI is often received as a utopia because it will solve all the problems, uh, but it is also going to shake up things. So I have looked at five different domains in which it's shaking up things. That doesn't mean it's only a problem. It means that it's also a problem. It's a, it's a solution to many things, but it's also an issue that we have to come to terms with. Of course, it will happen. It should happen. You cannot stop it. But we should be responsible in understanding what are the issues, and then we can take care of it through better policies, better awareness, more people at the table, more stakeholders need to be informed so they can negotiate their position. So I'll I'll describe very quickly what the five, five battlegrounds are. So the first battleground is economics, jobs. Now, AI will also create jobs, but it will also destroy jobs. The issue is the impact is unequal. So in Bangalore, it may create jobs in Silicon Valley and parts of China. There are factories that will create jobs, but the, let's say Tesla, driverless cars will create jobs in the auto industry for Tesla, but the drivers who lose their job will be in Africa, Latin America, in India, places like Bihar, Orissa, UP. They are not going to get the jobs of AI, but they're going to lose the jobs from drivers. So the impact on those who lose the jobs and the impact on those who get the jobs is not the same. It's not the same people. It may be different countries. Certain countries will get stronger. Certain countries will get weaker. Within the same country, certain regions, geographically, will get empowered. Certain regions will get poorer. And and certain strata, certain kinds of educated people will get, get a huge amount of opportunities, and a lot of people will get disempowered. There are some studies from the World Bank and United Nations that women in Africa stand to lose a whole lot because of AI. Uh, The fact being that their jobs are low tech, labor intensive, the kind of jobs that will be displaced. So it doesn't help to say that AI will also create jobs. The point is there will be social disruption because the impact is unequal on different kinds of different parts of society. And India has a lot to be concerned about because of overpopulation, because of under education, because of a lot of unemployment. So the economics is one battleground. The second battleground is China and artificial intelligence ge- geopolitics in general a large part of the us china dispute is not about you know some things here and there and they'll buy some farm equipment farm you know uh, stuff and uh, we will sell we, we will not buy some of their stuff and put some tariffs and all that the real deep concern the us military the cia national intelligence have is that china has taken a large amount of ai technology ai intellectual property by Hookah crook, and now in many ways it's on par with the US, in some ways it's ahead of the US. And it, China is creating the military, industrial, academic complex with AI at the center. A, the bet on AI is so huge for China, it's really like bet the whole future, the bet the whole strategy on AI. And to the extent, to that extent, you cannot discuss China without discussing AI and you really cannot discuss the future of ai without bringing in china because china is at the cutting edge in so many ways these are forecasts not just by chinese companies american companies uh, price waterhouse cooper's report on ai shows uh, where china is headed and what is its market share and i quote all that statistics the united nations mckinsey world economic forum all sorts of uh, organizations in their forecasting on china uh, are very much, uh, you know, showing the the way China has leapfrogged, and the military people, uh, the military people uh, are, are concerned. So the recent events in India, and I'll come to India as a battleground later, but the recent events in India on the Chinese border uh, bring to light why the Indian military is so concerned all of a sudden, because it's no longer about human beings. It's also about AI and technology and robots and drones and all that stuff. So that's the second battleground. Now, the third battleground, Is the one that I find most fascinating I find it the most challenging to explain I find it very difficult for people to accept it But I find that uh, once they accept it once they understand it. This is the real game-changer this battleground has to do with Big data big data about human beings our behavior what we post what we retweet uh, You know how we behave in social media all that is being mined by the Facebooks, by the Googles, by the Twitters of the world, and Chinese companies, and turned into models of our behavior, our psychology, and these models are predicting what to say that will infuriate Usha, what to say that will make Usha happy, what is she likely to buy, how is she likely to vote, and how do we manipulate it, what kind of fake news will uh, make her behave this way or that way. Now, what works for one individual at a time, because of the AI can scale all this at an individual level, can be applied to groups of people how to make a certain community upset at another community what kind of now ai with natural language processing can produce a large amount of fake news fake uh, uh, you know uh, all sorts of uh, 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 news about what's going on maybe it's true but it's been artificially inflated maybe it's getting too much boost so this uh, this kind of uh, uh, use of ai to produce narratives artificial narratives Uh, This is exceedingly dangerous, and then how the narratives have to be uh, customized for each person, where to send it, where not to send it. You'll get narrative A, I'll get narrative B. Uh, How to time it, and this is being perfected. Uh, It can manipulate elections, it can create civil wars. Uh, This is the future of what I've called breaking India forces. They are already working on this, and our people are really not. So the psychological manipulation Uh, started with the discovery that AI can be used to sell things. Amazon can sell you things. Uh, Netflix can tell you what movie to buy. Uh, The dating service can be more efficient in uh, telling you whom to date. Uh, So which restaurant to go? What is your favorite dish? So more and more decisions being made by the algorithms because they're learning more about you. Believe me, algorithms have learned more about people than they know about themselves. Because there are things I don't know about myself, I don't remember or I'm trying to deny, but the algorithm can outsmart me. It certainly knows more about me than many of my close associates do, even close relatives do, because I don't necessarily uh, show them everything, but the algorithm is picking up all my behavior. So we are in a world where uh, I call it as machines are getting smarter, people are getting dumber. This means that, and I have used the term modernization of the masses, this means that people are outsourcing their thinking, their knowledge, to the machines. I come across young kids who are saying, I can always ask Siri, and Siri will tell me, why do I need to learn all this stuff? Why are you saying I don't know? Because I can always Google. Google will tell me. Uh, you know, so with Google Devata, I call them Google Devata, Twitter Devata, Facebook Devata, becoming the new Acharyas, the new Pandits, the new Adhikar, the new Shastra is Wikipedia. So you see the, the transfer of knowledge of uh, Adhikar authority from our tradition is a transfer of our grand narrative to whatever the narrative other people are making about us. And when they do research on different age brackets, my age bracket is kind of okay, we are not selling out to AI, we are in control. Uh, you know The, the, the younger generation, Is also sort of okay, but when you come down to people under twenty, people born in this millennium, after the year two thousand, the data is very different. I mean, a huge percent, huge majority are saying we are not concerned about a Siri's listening and learning all about us. Uh, If Siri can tell us what to buy, where to go, then why not? Why not? We have less decision to do. In other words, we are outsourcing our thinking, outsourcing our agency, outsourcing our free will to these systems. And these systems don't belong to the same society where the society is being impacted. The systems belong to another country. The system belong. The Zuckerberg sitting somewhere can decide that Rajiv Morotra, this particular post is against community standards. I get a lot of warnings that a certain post will not be allowed or will not be boosted because it violates, quote, community standards. But who decides these community standards? Where are they written? Why can't I challenge them? Why can't I go to some forum and say these are not the community standards I believe in? So this arbitrariness of deciding what discourse is good, what discourse is not good, has been called social justice. This social justice idea is now into AI. AI is going to perpetuate and propel forward the social justice as defined by certain people. And the people being impacted all over the world have no say in this. They have no say about, hey, according to my culture, that's not social justice. I have a different idea. And such people don't have a seat at the table. So actually, the number one reason I'm writing this book is to empower the public and to tell them that actually they are being taken for a ride and they need to have a voice. So this is the third battleground. And the reason I took more time here is because this is the most important one. Mm -hmm. The fourth battleground is the future of spirituality. I come from a background of raising consciousness, both uh, practicing it. Uh, studying it, researching it, the mind sciences. And now here comes AI, which says that, you know, we can give you this experience without a decade long or a lifelong of uh, meditation. The rishis had to do this hard way. But, you know, we can give you through augmented reality, and we can even put implants, and we can give you the uh, spiritual high uh, artificially. So what what does that do? On the one hand, this kind of a technology, Elon Musk is in this in a big way, many other people. Microsoft is in this in a big way, the US military is in a big way. On the one hand, it will do amazing things. So post-traumatic stress disorder, they hope to solve by replacing the negative thoughts with positive thoughts. Uh, so when you are getting a PTSD attack, uh, it will detect and uh, it will substitute a new the neuron flood, the, the an explosion of neurons that will give you memories of happy times and all that. So uh, if, if a person has uh, some kind of a mental issue, uh, bipolar, uh, they, 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 this kind of a implant can intervene. So certainly there are good applications, and certainly FDA will approve these things. But once you have, once you have these uh, I- interventions on, as variables on your body, as implants in your body, there is also a question of, you know, uh, is, is the spiritual project, is the real spiritual project of consciousness advancement being hijacked by an artificial project trying to accomplish the same? And where, and I find the gurus don't know this. And this is what's shocking to me. Gurus are not interested in this. Gurus think this is all far out stuff, and they start giving you a moral lecture. But they're not facing the hard reality that this is really happening. It's in the labs. It's being tested. It's being field tested. Uh, patents are being applied. Huge economies are at stake. Huge fortunes will be made of this. So this kind of a thing is going to come in a big way. And where are our gurus? So these are the four uh, battlegrounds. I took all four of these and made India my case study. Where is India concerning the the jobs, economy, unemployment battleground, the battle with China battleground, the agency, we're giving away big data to foreign uh, entities and they're invading and we are buying their stuff. Uh, Then the fifth battleground is consciousness, spirituality. Where are the gurus and all this? So this is a quick summary of my uh, five battlegrounds.
1: That's great, thank you for that. Um, I really like the way you've described each of the AI led or driven impact areas into, the, into battlegrounds. So if you don't mind now, I'd like to actually probe a little bit deeper into each of those five battlegrounds. Sure. So first battleground, as you mentioned, um, it covers um, economic development and jobs. So what should companies and leaders know about the specific risks that they face and what should they do to protect the future?
2: So, you know, companies have a, strange dilemma. Uh, they have to be in AI, otherwise they won't be competitive. If somebody is mm-hmm. making cars, if somebody is making uh, diagnostic e- equipment for medical uh, diagnostics and they're using AI, whatever the product may be, uh, if, if people are using AI. So I, as an industrialist, have to use AI. The issue is, what's my responsibility towards my employees? Uh, when when uh, I think it was a McKinsey report or World Economic Forum report, one of them said that when we asked people uh, what will happen to the people who are displaced, and they said, oh, they'll be j- retraining. Uh, but when, when we asked them, have you allocated funds? Have you estimated how many billions of dollars it will take to tra- retrain the workforce? And have you allocated in your budget? Can we see that? They hadn't. So it's talk. It's talk that, uh, you know, we will retrain the workforce, but They have not put their money where their mouth is. So when you probe them, they say the government will do it. But governments will broke taking huge amounts of uh, labor force and trying to retrain all of them. What's likely to happen is that the generation caught in the middle of their career because of obsolescence is going to suffer. Their kids will be raised on AI and they'll get the new jobs. So, you know, if I'm 35 years old and my job is automated or I'm no longer very competitive, uh, young people who are 20 can do it better and cheaper. You know, the point is, I'll, where do I go? I still have 30, 40 years to earn money. Where do I go? So the, the, the suddenness of the disruption, the suddenness with which AI is being scaled, the suddenness of adoption, huge scale of adoption, when one factory uh, achieves success with a certain technology, others have to do it. So the scaling is very rapid, and there's a lot of capital available to do that. So this is, this is what's going on, and the labor leaders need to know, educators need to know. They don't know. Youth leaders need to know that this is affecting their future. So I'm just trying to expand the conversation. I'm not saying this is wrong, that is wrong. I'm saying more people need to know about it, and more people need a seat at the table. So right now, AI conferences impact on industry and jobs and all that. It's dominated by the employer, the HR department and the the McKinsey's of the world and people like that who write these reports are serving the corporate sector. There is really hardly any representation from the worker side. The workers are not adequately represented at the table where these conversations are being held. So my book is to bring down to the level of average reader who is not a technically sophisticated person. I want them to understand what is at stake from their point of view so that, you know, they can sit there and negotiate. That's, that's why, where I think this battleground of economics is. Also, India is not getting, India is not recognizing the big data as intellectual property. India does not, uh, you, see, you see something very strange about India, software is not patentable. Software is not intellectual property that is protected under Indian patent law. So even if an Indian discovers some big breakthrough in AI, it is not protected as a patent. In, you can go and get a patent in the US or UK with that uh, with that breakthrough, but it's an Indian Indian breakthrough, and in India it's not recognized. There is a I've quoted the law, the patent law uh, in India, which uh, actually explicitly says that software is not patentable. So this there are some weird things that are happening. And, and this is my reason for concern. I also show uh, the Indian. Uh, I'm maybe getting ahead into the Indian battleground, but just to make a point, I think this outsourcing of labor, uh, outsourcing of labor, meant that we become like the cyber coolies. We are providing the raw labor. Others are using our brains to make their technology. Uh, we are the big layer uh, going from a village to a town, uh, making a mansion for somebody. Uh, we don't own the mansion. We don't even own one brick. Uh, the bricklayer may have installed a thousand bricks. He doesn't even own equity in one of them. The, he's just got given his labor, got money for it, and he goes on looking for the next job. So a uh, huge number of Indians, they're, they're, they're doing better than before because they've sold labor. But the people who are the client own the power. They own the, the intellectual property these people are producing and not the workers themselves. The middlemen have become billionaires. I mean, the Infosys of the world, the TCS of the world, and all these other guys who are into this outsourcing, they have made money because they are supplying a huge amount of labor, marking it up double, triple, four times and selling it to the Western clients. The Western clients are happy because they're getting high quality labor and they're owning the intellectual property. But the workers themselves. do not become stakeholders. Hardly 0.01% of them actually become entrepreneurs and are able to make a living. So this whole business of economics, jobs is a very serious battleground. I believe that there is a return to digital colonization. I see an age of digital colonization where China and United States will be the new colonizers. China is taking over Africa and Pakistan and various other places and United States is taking over many places, there will be some other uh, major countries also. Uh, and so I see digital colonization as sort of a very serious threat for economics in the future.
1: Yeah, so that's actually bumping us into, taking us into battleground two, uh, where you talked about the, you know, uh, which addressing the, the power in the new world order, uh, weakening of the sovereign states, the recolonization of the, of, of the world into digital colonies, which you just mentioned, so, so, how should policymakers protect society from these abuses of AI enabled power while at the same time continuing to optimize the benefits of AI for the economy?
2: So, you know, I'm glad that uh, in the past, uh, during 2020, uh, because of China's aggression and India rethinking its defense, the one community of leaders in India who have understood the power of AI and how we are being caught behind, 10 years behind China in AI. The one community that I credit for having understood this is the defense community. Mm -hmm. Uh, I recently had an interview with Air Air Vice Marshal and a Lieutenant General, they really get it. They understand this. I I think that the policymakers have convinced the prime minister and they have had some conferences and there is some initiative uh, to bring AI into the forefront but as my book points out, it's too little, it's too late. We're 10 years behind China, and, and uh, it's not very easy to catch up in this field. So what Indian government needs to do, as I'm giving Indian government as an example, is we need to create something like ISRO for space, something like Baba atomic research for nuclear energy. We need to create that kind of a scale for AI. We need to have, uh, you know, like the big leaders, Bhab, Homi Bhabha and, and various other people. Uh, you know, uh, the the Satish Dhabad for ISRO. Uh, we need to find that kind of giants in AI and give them that kind of scale of funding to move the country forward because to catch up for 10 over 10 years is not easy. But remember, when John Kennedy in the early 60s said that my challenge is before the decade is over, the United States should put man on the moon. That was when there was no such project at NASA. That was when the Soviets were ahead of the United States. And what happened by 1969, during the same decade, he was he died before that, but during the same decade, his dream did come about and United States put man on the moon. So this is how fast you can just dipfrog ahead if you really want to. I think India can do it. India has the brains to do it. India has not got its act together so far. And then, of course, the same kind of Topic we have to discuss for every country Every Africa has to figure out. I mean Pakistan has sold itself out It's just Pakistan is for rent. It's just whoever pays the highest rent. They'll give it to them So now it happens to be China. Uh, I, I don't see much future for the Pakistani people Maybe a, some ruling elite will do very well because China will look after them But I don't see Pakistan becoming free in the true sense of the word. They're certainly headed as a digital colony mm,
1: Interesting um, So let's turn to the third battleground And you had mentioned that this is addressing AI, controlling our psychological desires and agency. And I think you have gone as far as to say that the psychological, emotional and mental hijacking that is underway by AI um, and AI-driven technology, it's resulting in the moronization of human beings. Um, That is big, That, that that is huge. So what do you think Should the role of uh, consumer protection groups be, as well as spiritual leaders and other keepers of society's moral compass in balancing the use of AI?
2: So, you know, uh, society across the world has this problem and India is my case study. But the problem is not just limited to India. Uh, The good thing for Americans is that there are a lot of Americans who are understanding this problem. Uh, I don't know how many of people have seen the, The Social Dilemma, which is a movie. Uh, some ex-leaders from tech companies like, you know, Google and uh, uh, Facebook and all. Many of these com- people have quit and started a movement to expose what was going on in their job when they were working in this company. There are insiders within Google, insiders within Facebook, in those, and also people within Amazon who have come out and started talking about these things and blowing, they're whistleblowers. Then there are people on the outside. So I'll show you this book by Soshana Zuboff. Soshana Zuboff this is a this is a this is a very this is a 600 page book exactly exposing what is going on in this field of psychological hijacking i mean she's calling them thieves she's calling them all sorts of things because they're stealing your insides without fully uh, uh, warning you and i'm quoting a lot of these people quite heavily in my book uh, there are the suskind brothers there are two brothers suskind one of them is into the ai impact on politics the future of politics, how it's being influenced, and the other is on the future of jobs. So they're both into the kind of thing I'm talking about. People in the West are doing this. People in India are not doing it. People in India are going, gaga, you know, Google come and invest in us. We are so pleased. Google Devita picked, oh, wow, we are so doing so well, you know. Uh, I'm surprised that the, at the lack of uh, uh, understanding on the Indian consumer groups, you would think that the left would complain. But, and the right would say it's hijacking our culture and civilization. But both of them are gaga. We are running, we are being successful on the Twitter platform. I got so many lakh users. I got, I'm successful on such and such YouTube platform. I have more views. What we don't realize is that we are doing a dance on a platform whose, the platform's strings are being controlled by someone else, and they are making us dance. And we think we are dancing freely, but we are not. Somebody is controlling which tweet of mine will become popular, which will be shadow banned. Somebody is controlling all of that. So really, the, the book is to shake up all our thought leaders, including the people who are running month and literary festivals and who are the icons of uh, social media and who are the big, big shots who are very powerful. You know, defining our success in terms defi- set by another person another, in another country uh, where we have no control over what their rules are. But we are placating to those rules. That's like those are the new devatas. We we are bowing to them. We are practicing all the rituals that will make them happy. We want the devata to be happy with me. Twitter should like me because God forbid if they ban me, my competitor will get ahead. So, you know, it's like the Rajas. The Rajas at one point in time were competing for British attention, uh, which Raja gets to sit on an elephant and he gets a 21-gun salute, feels very proud, while the British are the ones who are organizing all this. So they lost their selfhood. And India is, is running the risk of losing itself, so also many other countries, most of countries. But India is far too large to just become a colony again. And that's the risk I'm concerned about. And that's what I'm shaking people up. So I want awareness. I want the, all these tutorati and all these guys, people who are setting up these, uh, these uh, great channels uh, on foreign, uh, you know, foreign platforms to know that what they are doing is feeding big data To those people, making them more powerful over us, and they will decide who gets to see what, what their views are, what their ideology is. They're controlling the discourse. We are, we are getting free services. We are so happy. Those guys giving me free email, those guys giving me free search. But what they, why are they, why are the richest people in the world today, the people who are worth hundred billion or more, why are, why do they happen to be the same people who are giving me everything free? I mean, this is amazing. You know, the, the, the people who are giving us all the free things are the ones who amassed the biggest wealth in the last decade. This is strange. So you would expect intelligent people to wonder, intelligent people to ask these questions. And since they haven't, I'm writing this book.
1: Mm-hmm. That's great. Um, let's turn to battleground four. And as you mentioned earlier, when you were giving us a summary of the battlegrounds, that this battleground covers the metaphysics of the self and its um, ethics. Um, in other words, it's the battle between algorithms and the self, between consciousness and AI's challenge to spirituality and so on. So in, in light of these AI augmented mental functions, what do you think is the future of the mind
2: sciences? Brilliant. This is, my, uh, this is a field very close to me. So I've called this in the book, I've called this algorithm versus being. Because in one uh, the battle for the self. Algorithm versus being the battle for self. So, is this the algorithm side says that I am basically a bundle of biology? That's all I am. And each biological part of me is nothing but algorithms. And then the parts of me, like the lungs and the liver and the pancreas, being algorithms, can be broken into smaller parts with algorithms. So the the being the the there is no being in me. There is no soul, self, or any of that in any as per any religion. None of that really exists. I'm a material entity. I can be broken into parts and subparts and subparts, and all those are algorithms. And machine learning can figure out how these algorithms work, and we can replicate these algorithms. Certainly, we can we can inject joy sorrow pain uh, you know we can we can give you happiness unhappiness because we are figuring out the neural pattern which corresponds to different experiences and we know how to stimulate them artificially so it's like uh, drugs without any physical material uh, uh, substances these are sort of internally triggered uh, electronically triggered this uh, this is going to give a large generation of people a whole generation of people Uh, through augmented reality goggles, which are coming, and then more and more intrusive uh, wearables. Uh, This is going to create a generation with artificial desires, artificial joy. Now, the interesting thing is that when they break down a human being into parts, there are different vendors. One is going to give you fantasy vacations. One is going to give you sex. One is going to give you your chocolate without having to eat the chocolate and having the calories, but you'll feel like you've enjoyed it. So different parts of being, different parts of the person are being decomposed and highly specialized vendors uh, providing these uh, benefits. So this is the future of consumerism. So this consumerism going to another level, uh, kind of turning the individual into an artificial creature and catering to the joy of the different parts of the creature means that it is totally the opposite of yoga, which means unity. Yoga is not break up and give each of them separate stimulation, but unify. And in the unity, there is already joy. Anand is inside. Anand is not something that somebody supplies. Anand is our nature. This is our tattva. Sachitanand is who we are. We don't have to add it, it is who we are. We have to undo things that are covering up. So this is a contest between the Satchitanand model of consciousness and the artificial intelligence model of biology. So this is ultimate, this is the ultimate battle that's going to happen. And I feel that. Gurus are unequipped. I've talked to gurus. They don't know. They are just into their own kind of a, uh, you know, but this is the future. And we we need gurus who understand this and who can counter it. I'm going to write sequels to this book. In this book, I'm exposing problems. It takes 500 pages just to explain all these problems. So I just give hints about solutions, but I'm writing sequels to this book already where I will offer my solutions.
1: Oh, can't wait to hear that or read that. Um, let's turn to Battleground 5. So you brought up India um, several times in the, in the context of some of the other Battleground discussions that we were just having. And, and I know you mentioned that you have put in Battleground 5 and using India as a case study. And in describing the threats that India is facing, um, I believe you mentioned the metaphor of the Titanic hitting the iceberg. Um, would you mind elaborating that for, for our viewers?
2: So uh, I don't want people to get scared and really start uh, hitting at me because this, ba- this metaphor is powerful and it's meant to shake you up. So Titanic was the ship 100 years ago, roughly, uh, which uh, was considered to be the greatest ship, the most VIP luxury liner meant for the elite and, uh, you know, so solid that nothing would happen to it. On its maiden voyage from England to the United States, it sank. On its maiden voyage, it hit an iceberg. Iceberg is something where only a small part of it is visible above the surface; most of it is beneath the surface. So, what is above the surface may be some miles away, but actually beneath the surface is a huge mountain, and you could hit it. So, the only way you know if, if you are facing an if you are reaching an iceberg is radar, under underground sonar. So, the Titanic was equipped with sonar, but it hit the iceberg. From the time it hit the iceberg, it took 2 hours and 40 minutes to sink. So, the metaphor is, if AI is the iceberg, which means we're only seeing a part of it. We are we don't have that sonar. I'm the sonar. I'm trying to wake them up. I'm saying, hey, captain, captain, please wake up. I'm detecting this is going on. You're going to hit it. And in the real Titanic, what happened is, that either their theories on what was going on, either the captain was sleeping, which means the captains of India are sleeping, or the captain was drunk, he was dancing on the deck, there was a party going on, or the captain had turned off his radar, he was not watching. Whatever the reasons were, is there is a controversy over it, but uh, the fact is that the captains of the ship did not take uh, did not take action to to watch out and do something about it. So, India, if India is a Titanic, then India is just moving ahead. The question is, have we already hit the iceberg, in which case nothing can be done? Mm -hmm. Or are we about to hit the iceberg, in which case if the if the captains were to wake up, something can be done? I believe it's the latter. I believe it's my job to really shake them up. And that's why the book is is, is a tough read. It's not a nice, we are this great civilization and we are doing well and we got all this, you know, all, it's not a, a goody-goody type book. It's a tough book. We don't have much time left. Now, it's very interesting. When the Titanic hit and in 2 hours 40 minutes it sank, there were lifeboats. There were sirens saying jump on the lifeboat. Some people did jump and save themselves. But, you know, a large number of people were dancing at the deck. At the deck of the ship there was a dance going on and there was a band playing, and they were drinking their champagne and enjoying life. And when the ship sank, the band sank, and those dancers also sank. So now there's a controversy. Are these band people heroes because you know they sacrificed their life? Well, come on, if they sacrificed their life, it didn't really help anybody. Uh, or they were, were they fools? Were they ignorant? Were they self-deluded? Whatever it is, on the deck of india's tight india as a titanic there are people rejoicing we are having cricket matches we are winning this trophy this bollywood thing happened there is a latest scandal somebody got an fir somebody got bail or did not get bail or this in this state we won this election and we overthrew that uh, c- c- you know uh, consortium of companies that that uh, political parties uh, so whatever it is india's people at the deck are enjoying the tamasha they are enjoying this great uh, pop culture uh, they are doing very well in, on on social media. They think their their time has come. They've gotten rid of main mainstream media and now it's the social media. They think they own it, which they don't. It's the social media that owns them. So this is the deck life on the deck is this. You know we are a great nation. We are doing so ahead. We are becoming Vishwa Guru and all that. And I'm saying that actually another model is that India is the Titanic. It's Captains are sleeping as far as AI is concerned. Maybe they've just woken up this year, which is good. Uh, and the people at the, on the deck are playing the band and enjoying life. And this is a very negative, dramatic, dramatization of what can go wrong uh, with India. And the purpose of saying this, uh, so the publisher said, don't say this. And I said, I have to say it. All the people who read this book many, many times said, this is very powerful. You have to say it. So I'm saying it. And I'm I'm prepared to discuss uh, whether it's a valid analogy, not a valid analogy. But my motive is I'm a lover of India. I put all my life into India. I don't want India to hit this iceberg. Mm-hmm. I want India to be okay. And I'll do whatever it takes. So right now my job is I have to go find where the captains are, shake them up and say, okay, wake up, wake up, guys. Time to stop this party and sh- do something about what what is going on. So there is a sense of urgency in the in the metaphor of the Titanic. There is a sense of danger. But there is also the chance that we will save and we will enjoy the ride, then we will be the Titanic, we will be truly the Vishwa Guru. That is what I want to achieve.
1: So, what should countries like India be doing to prevent themselves from hitting the iceberg?
2: So, you know, first of all, I'm proposing several things. First of all, India has to completely overhaul its data policy. I know that there is Gopal Krishnan, there, the Chris Gopal Krishnan, there are many important people who have been brought into this. I'm very grateful that they've taken on this challenge. They're very smart people. And they are doing very late in the game, but they are doing a lot. I wish them success. I think it's still very early that these debates are going on. But I'm still not convinced that even what they're proposing is enough. And this is where, off record, I want to have conversations with people and, and give them some ideas on what ought to be done. Also, you know, what got me very concerned about this whole business is that many years ago, I found that the Kumbh Mela, which has up to 100 million people coming. Uh, American academic people from Harvard and other places descended on the Kumbh Mela to mine it for big data. Uh, They were looking for biometrics. They were looking for human rights problems. They were doing a survey of all the jatis, who they are, where they're coming from, whether it's male-dominated, female-dominated, whether the Brahmins are too many, Dalits are not enough, whether the Muslims are allowed, not allowed. I mean, they came as a social sciences project. And they came as a social sciences project under the garb of uh, mapping, that this is called mapping the kumbh mela. So, they're building a map of the whole movement of 100 million people and their psychology, their al- the al- uh, creating their algorithms on what the behavior is and who is who and how it works. And I warned that this is a loss of big data India should not allow. And I wrote a booklet on it, and my booklet was translated into Hindi and English with Hindi at the other end. A lakh or more copies were distributed at various kumbh melas. So many people came to me and said, you've woken us up, something should be done. When Yogi Nath was the chief minister, soon after he became chief minister, I went and visited him for two nights. I stayed in his headquarters in his VIP accommodation. They were very nice and hospitable to me. I gave them my report. I said, please stop. Foreign entities from coming and having open access to record and take the data from Kumbh Mela, it is a very dangerous national threat to us. And I, I, so many people on the social media knew what I'm saying. The uh, the booklet I wrote is available for download. The videos I did are available on my on my YouTube site. I was heard. I was heard with great. Uh, you know, politeness and decency and these uh, his, the officials who are some IS officers, I guess, uh, uh, Yogi Adityanath Ji told them, well, they'll get back to you. I'm sure they'll do something. Nothing happened. Nothing happened till today. A few months later, I read in the newspaper, Yogi Adityanath uh, invites foreign uh, researchers to come and study the Kumbela. So exactly the opposite of what I wanted. So on the one hand, we are saying we want to protect our data, but maybe maybe there's a disconnect within India. Maybe there's some group of people who know what big data is properly, they know that. But then they don't understand that this invasion to come and map the Kumbh Mela is an invasion of big data. They don't understand that is big data. So big data is all the anthropologists who are studying, all the missionaries who are feeding the stuff, all the Islamists who are constantly uploading, and all the social media which is capturing this stuff. That is the big data. So India's is for sale. India's big data is out there we are digitally for sale. So so what if a few lakh of our people are working as tech people for the foreign tech giants? We think that's the digital future of India. I don't think that's the digital future of India. The digital future would be if we own the AI, proprietary rights, technology, algorithms. If we own the platforms, we had the trillion dollar market cap, not, not uh, uh, Google. Uh, you know. And, and if we own the data then we would be uh, the Vishwa Guru. So one of my, one of the persons in my organization coined the term Vishwa Vishwakulis, Vishwa kulis. And so he says, you know, what you should say is modernization of the masses is not strong enough. You should say, are we Vishwa Guru or Vishwa Kuli? Now, I didn't put that in the book because I think that's maybe going too far. But I do want to say that, uh, that you know, our brains are serving as Kulis. And our data is being sucked up, sucked out of the country. And I wish Yogi Nath would hear this and I wish he would give me an opportunity to sit down with the same people a few years ago who were not interested in listening to me and would give us an idea why they did what they did by way of policy. So, you know, Indian government really needs to uh, take itself take its policies seriously. I really like the government that Modi has brought. I think Modi is doing a brilliant job. He's the best prime minister we've had. And the PMO's office is doing a great job. And there are so many people very concerned about AI and are doing a good job. But, you know, the legacy from the past needs to be fixed. Previous governments didn't do enough. We lagged behind. We never started a chip factory in India. India does not make its own chips. We import the chips, the the semiconductors. So to catch up, it will take tens of billions of dollars, maybe $20 billion we'll take to really catch up in the semiconductor if we decided to. Otherwise, we're dependent on imported chips. So we have huge problems. That is not the fault of the current government. but I, And I think the government, the government is already doing its best. So I'm not, I'm not here to criticize them. I'm just here to say that more people need to wake up. And what India needs to do more than anything else is to really put a lot of defense budget, defense budget in AI. You know, United States, DARPA. Defense Advanced Research Project Agency, DARPA, is the one that has invented so many things. The internet, the internet, semiconductors, fiber optics, GPS, and driverless cars. Driverless cars uh, became big because DARPA started a competition saying that they'll give you a prize to whoever makes a car that can drive the Nevada Nevada desert, uh, you know, huge distance more than 100, 150 miles or whatever, its a huge distance that it had to go from one place to another and whoever would drive without any driver in it, whichever car would drive would win. The first year, no car went more than a few feet. They all crashed. Second year, many, many cars finished. Your third year, it became even better. So the driverless car revolution was started by DARPA, defense people. So United States military creates these visionary long-term things and seeds it into the industrial complex, the military-industrial complex, and also works with academics. So it's a military-industrial-academic complex in the United States, also in China. In India, military is disconnected from industry. Industry and military are not working together in technological terms. And the academics are just in their own world. So there is no uh, military-academic alliance, You don't get a whole lot of defense contracts to, you know, uh, intellectuals in the academic world. Academic world, uh, people are not really pioneers in R&D necessarily. Maybe a few IITs are different. Yes, IITs are doing some original work on a very small scale. And nor do you have academic industry alliances, uh, you know, nor do you have industry and and, uh, uh, military alliances. So the three poles that need to come together are fragmented. And I, one of the most important things India needs to do now is to bring military, industry, and academics together.
1: Interesting, very powerful. Um, let's roll forward to the current environment because I'm sure when you began writing this book, um, there was no pandemic um, and you know we were just in a different world and, and our world and, and everything around us has changed dramatically. So in turning to the focus on our current environment, um, and the, the issues, the serious issues we're facing with the with the health pandemic, witnessing the geopolitical struggle, in the great power competition between the U.S. and China, um, and dealing with the domestic shift in political power. So, what themes and messages in your book do you feel are most relevant to our current news topics?
2: So, I think that uh, the current uh, uh, current topics. I mean, in fact, I have it. I have in my book written uh, quite a lot on. Uh, 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 what are the topics that uh, affect, uh, you know, the current environment. I would say, uh, and, and I, I have the book ready to go to print uh, in the next probably on Diwali day, it will go to print. So I have it sitting here ready for the printing. Uh, so I, I would say that uh, the acceleration, what, what Rakesh said at the beginning is very true. Uh, the uh, The pandemic accelerated what was happening anyway. Uh, and and uh, things that we said would be five years away are happening now so th- the predictions i made in my book are actually definitely happening even faster so the the new economy the new digital economy has empowered all these digital platforms the big data they've gathered due to due to the pandemic is unprecedented people have put their guard down and given up big data because they're saying okay my life is more important than the privacy so what if they're watching me but they're watching me to look after me so uh, so there is more and more big data being gathered about you, me, everybody. And we are more cons- cons- And it is natural. It is natural. Our priorities are short-term. We want to be okay. And what are the long-term consequences we haven't looked after? Probably some laws need to be enacted that prevent, them, prevent the people who are collecting the data from using them uh, in a way against our against our interests. But nevertheless, the trend is is accelerating. So the, the trends of jobs, economy, the the new haves and the new have-nots, the new concentration of power accelerating, it has moved far, far, faster because of the pandemic. A few, uh, a few stores will survive, a lot of retailers will go away. A few restaurants are surviving, and they will expand and take over the market share because a lot of the little ones are gone. So you look at any category, you will find that the people who are weaker, who did not have the cash flow, are gone, and so the strong will become stronger. Uh, Because that is what happens when there's a disruption. The second area to uh, look at is geopolitics. I think the polarization uh, uh, of China versus the rest is going to become enhanced because this was I predicted that China will continue quietly getting ahead, you know, and then there'll be a moment when everybody else will realize, oh, my God, look at what's happening. They'll come together. But I think that's going to happen faster. So the rise of China using this AI and the new technology is accelerating, but the rise of the anti-China is also going to accelerate. So this will be a very interesting clash that will happen sooner. I don't think it will be 2030 as I predicted. I think it will happen much sooner, this this kind of a clash. And then this business of uh, human rights and rights of consumers and social theory and social sciences. Social sciences are obsolete. Social sciences, they have a very obsolete method of collecting data about society. They send an anthropologist, and the anthropologist, by the time they collect all this data through surveys, it's already kind of obsolete, you know. AI is, through the big data, is capturing real-time what people are buying, what they're thinking, what their fears are, what their concerns are, what is the mood of, the, uh, of each community. They're doing it on a global scale. So the data gathering and then processing it into models and coming up with, Conclusions and trends is happening real time with this, uh, with this, uh, uh, with this, uh, 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 you know, AI. And so I, I think that the the the, revol- the what the pandemic has done is accelerated uh, the uh, the uh, AI driven social sciences. Uh, so there will be AI driven mind sciences and AI driven social sciences. These, the inner world and the outer world, AI driving and the pandemic actually pushing it for, for, forward faster.
1: So this is a very thoughtful and provocative book, no doubt, um, just based on the glimpses uh, that you have given us of it. So in your view, what is the most controversial aspect of the book? And and even more broadly speaking, are you worried that you'll have a lot of people that disagree with your messages, and and some may even go, be offended by it?
2: So OK, how- so the, the most controversial uh, part of my book is to say that as machines are getting smarter, people are getting dumber and more dependent on these machines. A, a phenomenon, a syndrome I've call, I'm calling the modernization of the masses. Uh, people of our generation and maybe 25 up don't agree and maybe it does not apply to them, but I have done a lot of surveys with teenagers, you know, people below 20 in general, and they have no problem saying that we don't need to learn a whole lot because machine will tell us. you know, Like calculators made it irrelevant to learn multiplication. We don't need all the general knowledge and all the stuff because Wikipedia and Google and Siri, they'll tell us what we need to know. So the modernization of the masses is is a real syndrome. That, I think, is a very controversial thing for people like us to accept. But I would urge them to go to the very, very young people and ask them, what do you think? And those people think, yeah, it's okay. It's cool. So uh, that's one controversy. The second one is, what we did not get into, is I feel that all this will lead to ultimately a depopulation. A depopulation of the world will become inevitable, Uh, 8 billion people becoming 10 billion soon uh, predicted to become 12 billion. The world with all the robotics and all the automation can be run by 1 billion, 2 billion people. You do not need so many people. India, instead of 1.3 billion, could with a few hundred million run the whole country and run it very well with the best technology. So we have surplus humans. What will happen to these surplus humans? Yes, we can give them, uh, keep them going, give them food and keep them uh, alive and uh, give, meet their needs. But that's a big drain. And at some point in time, the haves will want to say, okay, there are too many have-nots. And why are we, why are we responsible for them? So there is a, there is a philosophy that uh, became in, interesting in Europe in the uh, three or four hundred years ago. Some very prominent philosophers argued about these kinds of things way ahead of their time. I think the, the future will see a revival of this debate. Which way it will end up, I don't know. But I think a debate on are, is the world overpopulated? Should there be population controls? But when you, when you start population controls, voluntary, give them incentives, it takes 50 years to reduce the population. Because it takes two generations for, you know, the birth rate to come down and the previous people to die out at at their natural age and then have a smaller population. So what happens during the 50 years is very messy. I describe some of that. It's a very messy world when you start depopulating uh, on a voluntary basis and it takes a long time to flush out the the population and then a small population is left. It's a very unstable, contentious battleground that will probably turn uh, violent. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, as to people thinking what they think of me, I certainly expect to be attacked. Why not? And but that's true of anything controversial, anything provocative, anything that you change the paradigm. People are used to a certain comfort zone, and they're expecting a AI book will be ah yeah yeah everything will be good. I'll have a servant. We'll all have ten servants, and they'll do our cooking and they'll clean our house. And everybody's got these kind of fantasies. But who's going to pay for it? I mean, the average person may not have enough uh, income power because his automation is also competing for his job. And and so if he doesn't have the money, the buying power, then he's not going to be able to afford all these things. So I, I think that the real issues I'm raising at so many levels need an audience. You may agree with me. You may disagree with me. It's okay if you disagree with me. I'll have raised your consciousness. I'll have made you more aware. Out of the five battlegrounds, maybe you agree with a couple, you disagree with a couple, you're not sure about some others. Fine. I just want to increase the conversation. All I want is more people to start talking about this because I don't think this should be where global warming was. I think this discussion is where global warming was a few decades ago. People who were at the cutting edge of thinking about it were considered to be you know, conspiracy theorists and they were way out and nobody really believed in it. But you know, there have been so many debates where the, the technical side that really knows what's happening is a small number of people, but it affects the masses. And the public intellectuals need to come and join this discussion. So I'm doing that. I'm bringing this discussion into the public. And I'm very grateful and thankful for uh, to, to Rakesh for facilitating this. And I know that he's a dear friend for a long time. I said, let's keep it under wraps. Let the book come out. Uh, but I promise you'll be the first forum to uh, where I'll go public and talk about it. So we kept it under wraps for a long time. And when, the, when this shows is when people will find out. And whatever happens, I'm prepared because I'm I come at it with a clean heart. My intentions are good. I want it, I, I'm doing service to humanity, especially to India. And I want people to take this seriously, debate with me, argue with me, I'll give them evidence, I'll give them backup, I want to have conferences on this, I want to have a lot more discussion on this topic. It's going to be the topic discussed a lot in this decade, the way people discuss global warming.
1: Great. Um, so um, another question, if you don't mind. Sure. Obviously, you're talking about um, a lot of key disruptions that are driven by AI. So, how would you compare this versus the industrial revolution-led um, disruptions that we have faced um, in the past?
2: So, uh, people are people say that uh, when Britain had its industrial revolution. In fact, I was at a conference and one of the speakers said that we should not worry about loss of jobs because, you know, when the industrial revolution happened in England, he showed pictures of people whose jobs were finished. The jobs were no longer required. But then he says overall new jobs were created in the factories. So more jobs were created than destroyed. So the industrial revolution overall was good. That's what he said. And my response was the jobs were lost in India and the new jobs were created in England. So there was a disruption. There was a whole coloni- colonization happened because of the industrial revolution disempowering the textile workers, the, the iron steel workers, the various kinds of uh, uh, manufacturers in India, disempowering them and shifting that economy and that power to places like Manchester, where they had the in- industrialized uh, you know, uh, uh, mills and factories. So the global disruption was very big. While jobs were created and jobs were lost, it was, it was an uneven impact. And the power of money gave the people who were the owners of these things the clout to make the rules and run rule rule the uh, uh, the colonies, even change their narrative, even change their self-esteem, even change their language. So that power existed. So those who got the power with money then could use that money to change the narrative, change the language and all that. So I see that there are parallels with this. If you think of this as the Industrial Revolution, yes, it will boost the economy. There will be new trillionaires. I think there will be some trillionaires. Uh, But it's not going to be an even impact. There will be haves and have-nots, maybe bigger disparity than before. I have shown some statistics in my book about the disparity increasing between the top 1 percent and the bottom 50 percent. So the industrial revolution, this is like another industrial revolution. Uh, It will create new weapons, new military kind of weapons. Uh, It will create uh, within the same country difference between the rich and the poor across countries, colonizers and colonies. So I think there are some parallels uh, and we should be prepared that the next uh, 10 years is going to be very dramatic. And between now and 2050, it will be a completely revolutionized world. Any organic growth, uh, forecasts and economic models are obsolete. This is not going to be some business as usual, X percent growth going on. This is going to be a very disruptive environment. And the young people. I'm too old to have any uh, to worry for myself, but I worry for the young people because they'll have to face all this.
1: So as we're sort of nearing the end of um, our conversation about your upcoming book, um, when, when one does a Google search or even a Amazon search for AI books, right, there are tons that show up, and you just flashed one, you know, important one as well in this conversation. So how would you say, what really differentiates your book from these others that are out there on the same topic?
2: So, you know, some of the books are about technology, how to write AI, you know, how to learn uh, this program or that program and, and so on. That's one group of AI books. Another group is science fiction. They're talking about, you know, the future world and all that. Mine is neither of these. Mine is about policy, about society, about things happening on the ground and things that are going to happen in the next five to ten years. I'm not talking about long-term futures. I'm talking about right now. Now, within this space, there are some books. There are a small handful of books, and they are emerging. But I see that a voice from the Vedic tradition is missing. A voice from the Vedic tradition looking at, from our point of view, what what is at stake. And we also, I will not discuss, I will not give out this secret, because that's in a future book, not only is our tradition at risk? But our tradition has solutions, solutions that other traditions don't have. And that, so we ought to actually reinventing AI from our point of view. We ought to be taking control of the future of AI from a Vedic point of view. So this goes back to your very first question, how does it relate to the rest of my work? Mm-hmm. It relates to the rest of my work because not only am I warning about the dangers that our civilization faces, but i am also going to explain what are the resources unique resources our theories have our ideas have our whole history has to bring into the ai of the future to make it more powerful than the current ai and also to protect us
1: great now as we began the, you know this this interview about this book i started with you you know asking you to summarize the key messages in the book so in closing I would like you to summarize who are your target constituents. So if you could briefly you know sort of give a recap of who are your key constituents and what are the issues they face and what should what do you think they should be doing about it.
2: So uh, my main constituents are the youth because it's their future and the book is dedicated to the young scientists and technocrats who can actually do something about it who can raise the issue of ethics in their workplace. Uh, My my target is the policymakers in places like India to take this matter seriously, the gurus who need to take this matter seriously, the public intellectuals who are dancing on the deck of the Titanic, which which could hit the iceberg and sink, and they are having a good time thinking that they got more retweets, this guy got more followers, this guy is starting some YouTube channel, so many people, you know, this Tamasha. This tamasha that India is going through, these tamasha tamashawalas need to know that there is something that they're standing on the deck, which could be the whole deck could sink. And this is, is not stable ground. This is not our, you know, matri bhumi, so to speak. It is sort of foreign soil because some other people control it. So I'm trying to shake them up. I'm also wanting to reach out to the industry leaders in the tech world in the United States. China, probably they won't listen. Because there are people inside Google and Facebook and all these kind of Microsoft who have a conscience. Now, somebody needs to represent the other's point of view. Some people already are. Mine is a different spin because I come from a different civilization. They need to hear this. And rather than having us-them fight, they need to sit down and we need to have some friendly discussions on what's reasonable what is a win-win? How can how can we have good technology doing good things and at the same time not devastating and undermining uh, ancient civilizations and rights and values and spirituality and so on. So that is those are the constituents that I'm targeting in this book.
1: Great. Great. Thank you so much. Um, Thank you. If you don't mind. And if we have I'd love to ask you a couple of questions about you, because I'm sure the audience would want to know a little bit more about Uh, A few things that I want to address with you that's not readily available in your bio or on your social media profile and so the first question is What one thing about yourself do you want people to know that's not already out out there publicly?
2: Well, you know a lot of people ask why are you doing all this for the last 25 years? My, My friends and family also ask what's in it for you? You're taking so much heat not only you gave up the income not only working like crazy and ruining your health sometimes because you're not doing anything that you should for yourself, but you're also taking risk. You're sticking a your neck out. It's a thankless job. Nobody, nobody's, you know, except for some friends who really get it, some people who really understand it. The average person may not even know, you know, may not even care too much. And I'm taking so much risk. I get so much uh, angst against me, uh, hate mail and threats and whatnot when I travel around. So, you know, people want to know why do I do it. So, the real answer is, I I don't start with what will impact you or you, what will sell and all. I'm doing my own swadharma. I'm doing my own jagna. I I had a spiritual transformation actually. Since childhood, I've had a lot of experiences. But in my early 40s, when I was at the prime of my uh, business life, my business career, I had these huge experiences which told me that, you know what, while I'm healthy, while I'm young, while I'm active, I can do so much. I should quit this rat race and get into self discovery and giving back to my dharma. So, this giving back is what we call yajna. That is, means. The ecosystem we take from the ecosystem, every breath I'm taking from the ecosystem, all the food I get, all the knowledge I get, wonderful people like you, wonderful people like Rakesh, all kinds of things we depend on come from the world outside. We should give back. That is the balancing of the ecosystem. And that's what we call the yagna. So I decided that my swadharma will be to self-discover, understand more and more, to share and to give back. So I actually uh, I haven't ever talked about it. I've never. I'm not a guru. I'm not anybody who should be or want to be a guru. Uh, but I, my own transformation is the guiding principle for what I do, and that's that's uh, who I am.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much for all that you do and have done. Um, so, any final closing thoughts about the book, about yourself? Um,
2: so, I would request my readers and potential readers to please not prejudge get the book it's going to come out in January we'll have a bunch of launches I will have Rakesh and me talk more about it Uh, we'll have several of you involved I want to have debates panel discussions conversations Uh, get a copy of the book read it Uh, we are turning it into uh, tutorials online tutorials webinars with PowerPoint slides with short video clips of two minutes each to get messages out we're trying to create a huge ecosystem to sort of get these points out Uh, so please take it seriously i am open to criticism Uh, let's be decent about it it is a tough book i know but i think everybody should be aware of these ideas and that's all i ask for it's a good honest hearing with an open mind
1: thank you so much and with that. We all look forward to your book launch in January and folks out there, um, you just heard uh, the snippets about this book, uh, very important um, and it touches each one of us. So I too urge you to pick up a copy of this book, Artificial Intelligence and the Future of Power by Rajiv Malhotra when it's available in January. Uh, With that, I wanna thank you again and I will turn it back over to Rakesh. Clearly,
0: uh, every literary festival you dream of authors who will come and stretch your consciousness. But I say this with all sincerity. This session is the one session in my life where I have really experienced drishti Srishti vad Rajiv has revealed the rupa of what the world is going to be. He has performed a signal public service and a service for those who believe in the sovereignty of an individual human being. We thank you for that. Throughout history, the greatest crime against a human being has been organ harvesting. But Rajiv has revealed that the most dangerous organ harvesting that is going on is the harvesting of our mind. And it is happening unconsciously without us realizing it. I think this particular session is the beginning of what will be many conversations for the sake of An individual and for the sake of humanity. I predict that this book will be the most talked about book in 2021, and it should. And for that service, Rajiv, and for coming to IAC and being part of our literary festival, I want to thank you. I look forward to future conversations on the seminal contribution by you to the world's literature Usha thank you for hosting it thank you you very much
2: thank you